0: We're reading from uh, this morning from Exodus chapter 24 verses 7 and 8 it says then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kim and Bethany. Kim, you're two for two on crying on these all of life interviews. Okay. All right. Um. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, We've got a lot to cover. Who wants to cover four and a half chapters of Old Testament law together? I do. Um, All right. So uh, I'll catch us up here in a second. I want to pray for our time. And then um, also pray for uh, Missio O'Day, Peoria, and Chris, and Bethany, and the elders there. uh, And then also pray for our time that God would show us uh, what it means to understand uh, the Old Testament law. So there's a lot there. Uh, But but I I think we can get through it. So let me pray for us. Father, uh, we pray that as we do this, that we would be humbled by uh, the immensity of the history that you have uh, and the knowledge and the wisdom. There are a lot, infinite amount of things that you know that we don't. And so we come to you now as very feeble, finite, mortal human beings looking to the creator of the world of all things. And we ask for help. We ask, Spirit, that you'd fill this room, that we would use your word rightly, that you would use your word to give us faith, that we would see uh, what you want us to see in it. We pray that would also be true for Missio Dei Peoria as well today, as Chris is preaching. We pray that the word of God would come alive. We pray for that congregation as they continue to process uh, where they need to be, uh, land-wise, building-wise, meeting times. Uh, God, we thank you for the faithfulness of Chris and the elders there, and um, we're grateful that they are an in insane light of what it means to be in community with one another in the West Valley and the greater Phoenix area. So thank you for them. We pray a blessing upon them and the work you're doing. Your kingdom is so much bigger than Redemption Peoria, and we're grateful for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to jump in. If you ever had the opportunity to, um, to go into A Bible reading plan of any kind. If you're new to the faith, you might not be aware of this. So let me give you a heads up. You're going to love the first part of this Bible reading plan. You're going to get through Genesis. You're like, these are a lot of cool stories. Uh, Then you're going to get to Exodus, what we've been covering so far. And you're like, this is really cool. But eventually you will get to where we are now as a congregation and that Bible reading plan will press every type of obedient fiber in your body. You will go from the back half of Exodus through the end of Numbers, and if your Bible reading plan does not die, you are a true soldier of Jesus Christ, okay? And as you go through this, the reason is there are lists of genealogies that you have no desire to know, okay? There are lists of laws that you're wondering what you're supposed to do and wondering even when you read and understand the law, why can't I plant two seeds together? I never planned on boiling a a goat in its mother's milk before. Why do I need to know this? And you're going to wonder, and you're going to wonder, all 638 laws in the Old Testament. And so there arises maybe within you, why do I need to, to know this? What's the point of knowing this? What do I do with all of this? Well, this is the season that we're going into in Exodus. And this morning, we're going to cover four and a half chapters of those type of laws, okay? Now, to get there, though, it's really important you understand uh, what the law is, how we, how we handle it, what we're supposed to do with it, what people even historically have done with it. So before we even get to the text, which just so you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of summarizing. Um, But before we even get to that, uh, I want to spend a good amount of time just uh, laying out some foundational work for us to understand, hey, before you ever get into that Bible reading plan and you get to the law, here's some things you can know. Here's some things that you can be aware of as you process the law. Because the first Timothy uh, chapter three, verse 16 is right, that all of the law is profitable then there's something we are supposed to do in these four and a half chapters that you may feel, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with him, okay? Now, I'll catch us up as to where we are and how we got here in the narrative, but before I do that, let me just lay out a foundation. If you don't know what the law is, uh, how it plays out, like I said, uh, usually, traditionally, it's called the Levitical law, It's uh, called that because the Levites over uh, the tribe of Israel were the priests, right? And so there's a lot of uh, statutes and ordinations that go on with them exhibiting and playing out what it means to be in tune with God and with each other. Uh, Historically, there's something called the Westminster Catechism. If you ever want to look it up, Um, this document... Is huge, not just within Presbyterianism or within the Reformed community, but with the church at large. And in this document, um, which is old, hundreds of years old, helps us understand what we're supposed to do with the law and, and how we're supposed to break it up, okay? Now, the Westminster Catechism breaks up the law into three different categories. If you're here and you love the Westminster Catechism, this is not blasphemy, but I am going to break up the law for us to understand in even more of a simplified version. So here you are. You go into the book of Exodus. I want to give you two ways to understand what you're reading, okay? Two very, very simple ways, okay? So let's go through this. I'll try to stay close to my notes because, like I said, there's a lot to cover here. The first thing, uh, the way that you can understand when you read all these 638 laws you don't know what to do with, is there are moral and civil laws. I'm going to put those together. The Westminster Catechism actually breaks them up. There are moral and civil laws, These moral and civil laws God has given to his people so they know um, what proper views of sex are, what they know what proper views of uh, uh, morality are, how business should work, the interaction with each other and culture, the the interaction just with yourself and your family. You're going to see lots of laws that are telling the people of Israel, do this, this, this. So these are civil and moral laws. Here's one big category. You're also going to find another really big category called ceremonial laws. These laws are put in place so that the people of God know what it means to be in place um, of a right posture with the Lord. So the first one is how we interact with each other and how we interact with ourself. The second set of laws that you'll see are ceremonials. It's how we get right with the Lord. It's the festivals. It's it's uh, the, the parties. It's the not doing this and not doing that when you're before the Lord. It's how to offer sacrifices. It's who should offer sacrifices. It's these two big categories that we can understand. I think we have, yes. So that's that's what I want you to see right now, just from the jump. This is like Old Testament 101. I want you to see from the jump a way you can understand all of this really rough portion to read. I'm with you. Um, I'm a pastor and I'm with you, right? In the Bible reading plan that Candace and I are in this year, we got to numbers and I caught up to the, how far I was behind. Cause I just skipped like eight chapters in numbers, right? Cause I was like, I don't need to know who's from who, um, uh, moral law, civil law, and then ceremonial law. Okay. So, so, so I want you to see that these categories of these laws, these 638 laws fall under these two categories. But this, um, this poses a question. We are believers in the New Testament. We are not Israel. And so what do we do with the law? Now, I wish we had 10 hours... And I can explain to you all the different ways that people have seen these different laws and how we're supposed to play them out. Uh, There's three different views of the law, three ways to handle the law. Uh, Luther had something called the third use of the law. There's lots of ways that we can understand this, but I just want to make it real simple. I want to use these categories and explain as believers why these might be important from the jump so we can read some of these. The moral law and the civil law. Here's the first thing we need to understand. When we read these Levitical laws, we need to understand Jesus came on the scene and he said he came to fulfill the law. Well, with the moral and the civil laws, Jesus, from uh, not sowing two uh, two seeds in the ground, not wearing two different fabrics, he fulfilled the law by living it out perfectly. All 638 laws in the Old Testament, Jesus did not fault on any. Now what you'll find as you read the New Testament, the Pharisees, they accuse Jesus of breaking the law, but he does this a lot. See, you've heard it said, or you turn and and, and make it the uh, traditions of men. What's happening there is that the the, the Jews, the, the Israelites, the Pharisees eventually took the law and they said, okay, we're supposed to take every seventh day off. We should be off. Well, what does it mean to be off? Well, let's define what it means to be off. And so they wrote this other book. This is what it means to be uh, uh, off on Sunday, right? Closed on Sunday, right? You get it, okay? Um, so, Chick-fil-A! Um, so so, so here's, here's, here's my point. Here's my point. As we, as we process this first set of moral and civil law, here's what we can understand. We can understand that Jesus lived it out perfectly. And we as believers, this is important, we follow Jesus because Jesus fulfilled the law. So let me say it like maybe a little bit better. That's how Galatians 6 would say it. We are under the law of Christ because in Jesus, in Christ, he's fulfilled the Levitical law. Do you understand? So the first way that we can understand moral and civil laws, Jesus lived it out perfectly. The second one is ceremonial laws. How did Jesus fulfill the laws and what do we do with this, right? So are we supposed to still make offerings and sacrifices? No. According to the book of Hebrews chapters 3 all the way through about 11, We're told that Jesus is in this order of this guy named Melchizedek. And we can talk about that some other time, but he is a priest. And so he, like a Levite priest, he comes and makes a sacrifice to fulfill the ceremonial laws, but he doesn't just come to make the sacrifice to fulfill the ceremonial laws. He is the perfect sacrifice to fulfill the ceremonial laws. So we don't need to Offer sacrifices anymore because Jesus is and was the ultimate sacrifice. And so Jesus fulfills these laws, all of these laws. And so now we're left with this question well, what do we do with this? Should I skip over them? How do I handle them? Well, let me just say something real quick. Four quick things on understanding uh, the law this way. And this is going to be important. Um, The first thing that I would put in front of you is if you can look at these two categories of moral law and civil law, It's important that you see the first way is God telling his people how to love their neighbor. Okay? This is how you love your neighbor. The second ceremonial law is God saying, this is how you love me. Now, I'm going to make something up on the fly. I think what we have in Jesus is Jesus is summing up the law. I'll just make this up. This is me coining this right now, so take it for whatever it's worth. You could almost say that to sum up the law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and minds, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's just me saying that. I don't, I'm just throwing it out there, okay? But, you know, whatever. Um, right? So, so, so my, my point is in understanding what God is doing in the Old Testament is he's giving the people of God ways there to love their neighbor and ways there to love their Lord. And, and what sums this up is what we find in Jesus Christ. The second thing that I think is important is, I want you to know as you read these laws, it's not always this simple. Nothing ever is, of course, in the Bible. Um, but there are certain moments, for example, the Sabbath, right? I was just joking about it. you read the Sabbath and you go, is that a moral law, a civil law? Is that a, is that, is that a law that's ceremonial? Like, what do I do? It's not that easy. So just keep that in mind. There's, there's moments where, you, where you're wondering, okay, right? Which leads to the third thing I want you to know in understanding the law this way. Um, these are man-made structures. So Westminster catechism is a man-made structure for us to understand the law. Nowhere in the law does it say here's ceremonial laws. And here is moral and civil laws. These are just ways for us to understand the Old Testament. And then the last thing, this is important just historically, um, lots of people have their own laws. And if you do your your history right, you'll find a lot of laws are actually very similar to the Levitical law, which is really interesting. Um, Even as I looked up a few different cultures around that time, very similar, almost word for word. The difference that I found in the Israelite law, the Levitical law, was none of those other laws were given directly by their God. God speaks directly to his people in giving these laws which is important to understand how that plays out, okay? So, so there's just a broad overview. Here's when you read these laws, you're reading two different types of laws, moral and civil, how we interact with each other, and then ceremonial, how we interact with the Lord, okay? Don't worry, we'll dive into all these more, but just there it is. Now, here's the other thing. We're not done. We haven't got to the text yet. Four and a half chapters, I know, okay? The second thing you need to understand is when we're reading this, we're not coming out of nowhere, So if you decide to read the Bible, and you say, I don't know what I'm going to read today, and you open up the book of Leviticus, and you go chapter 18, and you put your finger down, you just start reading law, not only will you be confused because it's outside of these two categories, you've completely removed it from the story. And you've got to remember, we're going to cover four and a half chapters this morning. The reality is, it's four and a half chapters pocketed in the narrative. Remember, God rescued his people Remember that whole story in a crazy way? He takes them out of slavery. Remember that whole deal? And in taking them out of slavery, he then uh, brings them through trials and showing them that he'll provide food and substance, He'll provide water. He's there for them in battle and care. And then he gives them these laws, as John talked about last week, based on this premise that, hey, I've rescued you. Now follow me. By my good grace, I've, I've given you this now. Now follow me. So it's in narrative. And so what you've got to also understand is as you read Exodus, Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy, as you read these laws, you're going to notice this. It goes law story, law story, law story, law, right? It goes this and it, but it's back and forth. And I need you to see those dots it goes in, out, in out. And that's exactly what our text does again today. Okay. So, um, in the narrative, here's what I'm going to say about this. Ooh, lots to cover before we get to these four and a half chapters. Um, There is a part of this whole deal that we are a little bit at odds with, not just in understanding it, but feeling like there's a lot of rules God gives. And this is something I've got to take this off. I'm dying up here. It's Patagucci stuff. Okay. Almost. There we go. Um, Um, What were we talking about? The law? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So here's, here's, here's what I, what I put in front of you. Um, I want you to imagine for a second that, um, for 400 years, you've been captive and for 400 years, you've thought a certain way, been taught things a certain way. You, what, this is what we call We, we do this normally. You, uh, were raised in a, a society or culture and you learn what are called cultural norms you learn this is how you act, right? So when you're standing with someone and talking with them, you don't just randomly slap them in the face. That would be an odd, that would be outside of a cultural norm. As silly as that is, that's outside. We know that's not normal, right? Or you're sitting with, let's just make it even more like practical, but still a little bit awkward. Let's say you're sitting with another couple and you're at dinner and then they just start making out. Like, you're like, well, that's okay. You're married, but this is just weird. That's, that's outside of a cultural norm. You learn, and I learn, cultural norms. We learn cultural norms. Now, I want you to imagine you go into another culture. Now, uh, minorities in the room actually have to do this on a smaller way than what we find in the Israelites, but do, still do it on the daily. They're in a different culture, and what happens is you begin to see that your culture is different than their culture. So Candace and I have a lot of African friends from Nigeria, and our cultures are just different. Now I want you to imagine that our culture is being different, not just different, but good or bad, right? So I look at my friend Uche, he's Nigerian. It's not that our cultures are better or worse. The reality is they're just different. But let's say Nigerian culture is actually better than American culture, which he might argue for, whatever, right? So, so let's just say that. What we have now is a people group who've learned social norms for 400 years, learned what it means to serve and love God for 400 years. And now they have no culture. So they're dropped into a nothingness. How do you think they're going to act? They're going to act like their old culture. They're going to love God the way they've seen for 400 years, the people of Egypt loving God. And so God in his love reorients their brains, reorients their actions. It is not unloving to give them rules. The best example I can give of this is... um, In 1991, a little girl, 12 years old, was kidnapped. Her name was J.C. Dugard. Uh, She was in captivity for 18 years. She was finally uh, found in 2009. And the story is insane. I remember I read her book uh, when I was working nights at a vitamin company in 2012. And I just, I couldn't stop reading it, but also was like, like just scarred from reading this story. Uh, In in the span of 18 years, she had two daughters, both of which believed that she was their sister, not their mom, because a husband and wife tandem uh, ended up kidnapping her and molesting her and raping her uh, over and over. And she was a slave in a shed for 18 years. Finally, she was found, uh, and her and her daughters were set free. Now, this is important because the first uh, book that she ends up writing is her story. But she ends up writing a book five years later. And the book, which wasn't as good as the first one in her story, it was called My Book of Firsts. And that, the reason that's important is because, listen, for 18 years in slavery, J.C. Um, had construed and misunderstood versions of sex, misunderstood versions of love, of parenting, of living, of sleeping, And so it is not unloving. In her book of verse, she talks about, I had to relearn all of these things. I had to know what it meant to to be in love with someone because that was misconstrued. It is not uh, unloving to go, we don't do that, sweetie. That's not okay. And so it's important that you see in the same way the people of God have been in slavery and God is saying, that's a wrong version of love. That's not how you love me. That's a wrong version of love. That's not how you love each other. And so it feels like, wow, this is a lot of stuff. Well, imagine 400 years of slavery, the things you would have to learn. Even for JC, learning how and when to go to the bathroom had to be totally reoriented. And so this is why you read laws that you go, this is just a lot of laws I don't need to understand. But it's not true for Israel. So we'll tie it back in to us. Let's finally get to the text uh, because that's probably a good idea since we've got so much to cover. Um, FYI, you're going to need your Bible. I did not want to do Eric or Josh the disservice of putting four and a half chapters of slides together. So I'm going to read through them, but we will not have the text on the screen. So if you haven't downloaded that ESV app, now's the time. Um, Let me give you a quick outline of what we're going to do, okay? So uh, here's the outline of what we're going to cover in all four and a half chapters of this Old Testament passage. Uh, And again, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to do my best to explain it. First, uh, chapter 20, verses 22 through 26 are ceremonial laws, okay? Yep. Then we're going to go for a lot, two, three whole chapters, we see moral and civil laws. Remember how I broke them up? The first section is how God wants his people to love him. The second section is how God wants his people to love each other. Again, it's not always that clean. Then we're going to go back again in chapter 23 to ceremonial laws again. And then at the end of chapter 23, into chapter 24, we're reminded of the narrative. So it's a lot, but I just want you to see this. This is what we're covering, kind of a big, broad outline, okay? So let's go through it together, and I'll do my best to unpack why God in his love would give these certain laws, some of which um, are harder to understand than others, okay? So uh, here's uh, the first thing. I want you to remember what John covered last week in the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you shall have no gods before me. God's going to kind of start this whole Levitical law with that starting premise, okay? This is what he says in verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses... This is chapter 20. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourself that I have talked with you from heaven. You hear that? That's different than the other gods. I just want you to hear that. God is saying, you see how the Egyptian gods didn't talk to them? I'm from heaven. I'm talking to you. It's beautiful, but let's keep going. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. So here's what we need to understand from the jump. What the people of God have seen uh, with the people of Egypt for a long time is, there's these big shrines of gold and silver and wood, right? And they would make these sacrifices. What God is saying is, here's the first reorienting I want you to do. This first thing I want you to see. In Egypt, they saw the gods, but didn't know them in sacrificing to them. I need you to know your God and not fully understand or be able to see him. And that's who you're sacrificing to. He flips this and he makes the altar the important part. That when you come to the altar, it's not about wood or gold or silver. He even says things of the earth. I want it to be about me. So this is what he's going to say from the the jump, this ceremonial law. He's going to talk a lot about sacrifices. Okay. So if you really are jazzed up about that, you can dive into Leviticus uh, 15 through 19. Super exciting stuff. Um, Let's keep going. Okay. The next part here. So uh, jumping into chapter 21 um, is this long um, kind of ordeal and how to, how to uh, handle slaves. Now, Um, It's unfortunate. You know, we've had to spend two Sundays uh, at Redemption Peoria talking specifically about slavery. I remember uh, Ricardo at Redemption Tempe asked me to come on a Sunday to teach on slavery at one point because the reality is Judaism and Christianity can be accused of supporting slavery by shallow readers of the Bible. And unfortunately, um, our culture's full of a lot of shallow readers, right? So we just kind of brought, you know, through, uh, uh, articles and we don't want to do the, the work. And so I can't get into all the nuances that we've talked about on Sunday. I will just in short say this. It has nothing to do with race. If you're equating colonial slavery to this type of slavery, it's completely different. You have to, you have to get your mind around it in totally different ways. Um, matter of fact. Uh, This is why people usually use in the Bible talking about slavery is closer to employment. There's even a part here where you can put your daughter in slavery, and it's not seen as like this negative thing, right? It's almost like she needs to work for the family. So what you're going to find here is in the first section, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, talks about what should we do with people who are slaves? How do we keep families together? That's the first section. 7 through 11 talks about slaves becoming part of the family. Okay? So this is this whole section on slavery. I know how the Egyptians handled slavery. I know what it looked like, but this is what I want you to do. So God is giving them, this is how you understood love, JC, but this is what I want you to, this is how I want you to understand love. This, so same thing he's doing with, uh, with slaves here. Moving on, okay? He begins to get into this long list, that big section there, of relationships with one another in civil and moral ideas. Now, before I read some of these, I need you to understand something. Um How you feel about some of these laws, give me grace when I say this, is irrelevant, okay? So if God says, this is an easy one, spank your child. We're not going to get into that right now. God says spank your child, okay? It's irrelevant how you feel about spanking your child. Now, God isn't saying it's just irrelevant, forget your feelings. More importantly, what I'm saying is you as a believer need to be obedient to what God says, he has a full scope of what's going on. And so you may read some of these laws and you go, well, why would he say that? That's okay to question. No one's saying you can't question and begin to wonder and dig in. But here's what you've got to understand. You've been alive, I think at most 120 years. I think that's how old Jim is. I, I, like, I like that most. That's how old you've been, like been around. God has been around, check this out, forever, okay? So being around forever, this is just a thought. He probably knows more than all of our wisdom combined. As a matter of fact, dare I say that our wisdom is like God's foolishness, according to 1 Corinthians. Okay, so FYI. Verse 12, it says this, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. I'm just going to go through some of these all so you can hear them. But, If he did not lie and wait for him, but uh, God let him fall into his hands, meaning it wasn't intentional, it was by accident, then I will appoint for you a place which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take from him uh, uh, my altar that he may die. So the first one are are laws like this, right? If you accidentally, this the example I gave to my wife, is, if you're texting and driving and you hit somebody and they die in voluntary manslaughter, there are still punishments. You still killed someone. And God says, there's a difference. The first thing that we see is, I want to make a clear distinction between laws that are broken on accident and laws that are broken on purpose, okay? So this is the first thing. If, if, you, if it's by accident, and then this is actually where we get the first kind of inklings of what we call sanctuary cities, different today than it was then. But if it's on accident, then these people are allowed to go to a certain city, and they're allowed to be safe there. We see that a lot in the Levitical law. Let me give you some more. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to Put to death. Whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. There's a lot of putting to death in Levitical law, FYI. Um, and the reason that's important is you may go, like, well, I don't know, and this isn't right. You have to understand, these people, a million, more than a million people, are wandering around a the desert. There's no social reform or prison system to send them to, right? And so there are certain things that God makes these declarations. But again, how you feel about whether or not they should be put to death is irrelevant right now. Okay, you could even argue this is for a time that God is instituting this kind of law and it's showing his character that for sure, these first two things, we don't fully understand cursing your father and mother in our culture, but the first two we might understand, right? Whoever strikes his father and mother shall be put to death. All the parents in the room go like, amen, right? Okay, right? Like anyway, yeah, verse 16, verse 16 is, is pretty simple, right? If you are involved in any type of human trafficking and you uh, get caught, no, you're put to death you steal and kidnap someone, whatever you do with him, not just the person who steals and kidnaps, but the person who participates, they're put to death. It's a lot of, lot of laws like that. Let's skip down to verse 33, though. When a man opens a pit, these, these are just uh, things to, to notice, uh, simple things, right? So it's the day-to-day things that we find in the law. When a man opens a pit, and when a man digs a pit, and it does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of that pit shall make restitution. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his real simple. You dig a big hole and my dog falls in and it dies. You owe me money for the dog. It's that simple, right? You go, well, that's common sense. You're right. They've been in slavery for 400 years. They don't got a lot of that right now. And so God is giving them this law. But more than that, verse 35, when, uh, I, when one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then he shall sell the live ox and share its price. And the dead beast also shall, uh, uh, shall share. Verse 36, or if it's known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. This is real simple. Again, if my dog gets out and attacks your dog, then it's like, listen, you're going to have to pay restitution. You're gonna, we're going to sell your dog and we're going to split whatever we make, Okay, which I would gladly do. Um, but, but let's say my dog Bruno, the worst dog ever, let's say Bruno has a history of, of attacking violently, right? Attacking other dogs, which, <laughs> believe me, that's not the problem with Bruno. Um, but let's say he has a history of it, and I don't lock Bruno up. I mean, he's attacked a couple kids, he's attacked a couple dogs. At that point, we got completely different laws. Do you understand? That dog's gonna die. That's essentially what the law says. Whole different idea. And so again, God is giving very simple, very clear distinctions. Let's keep going. I want you to just get a feel of some of these things. This is real simple, right? Verse 6 of chapter 22. If a fire, uh, no, yeah, we're in chapter 22, sorry. Uh, If a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the uh, stacked grain and the standing grain of the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. Real simple. You light my garage on fire, you owe me the money to fix my garage, I mean, these are real simple laws. I want you to see them. This next part I find a little bit comical. I want you to go down to verse 18. So there's been all these laws, like in-depth laws about oxen and all this stuff. So listen to these. Uh, you shall not per- permit a sorceress to live. Whoever uh, lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever signifies to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. So work those backwards. Verse 20 is pretty simple. You devote yourself to, the Lord, uh, to any other God, destruction. If you lie with an animal, which, by the way, was, was part of the practice within the Egyptians. So this isn't like, why would he say that? This is a, this is a common practice, uh, a bestiality is a common practice within Egyptian, for the Egyptians. And so he's saying that's not what we do. We don't want that in our camp. But right here in the middle, and I don't know why I was, I read it. And then I, I read it in the NIV and I thought it was even funnier in the NIV, but it's going through these laws and it's going like, okay, so if an ox does this, make sure this happens, this happens. If there's grain, it catches on fire, makes a full restitution. If you see a witch, kill it. And then if this happens, like, oh, like this, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'll kill me a witch, right? It's just going through all these things. And it's just like, and we don't let sorcerers live. Okay. Like, that's it. I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. I literally laughed out loud. Um, uh, So then it goes on. If you lend money to any of the people—oh, so then—okay, so here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to look at uh, 22 verses 21 through about verse 6, or we might even go uh, past that to 10. Um, There is an interesting part that I want you to see in the law that we touch on here in our four and a half chapters, that God makes very distinct laws for the poor and marginalized— Okay, or more appropriately, he makes it for the people of Israel to support the poor and marginalized. Okay, um, so let me read you uh, some of these so you can see this. In verse, uh, chapter two, uh, 22, verse 21, it says, you, sh- uh, you shall not wrong a soldier or oppress him. For you were soldiers in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Yeah. Verse 25. Look at this. If you lend money to any of my people with whom you, with who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him. Look at uh, verse 6 in chapter 23. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor uh, in his lawsuit. It goes on and on and on. What I want you to see in all of this is God is saying there are poor and marginalized people who are inside of our community, some of which will join our community after this law is written. And when they do, there's different rules for them. So, so uh, amigo, amigo, we're together, right? Here we, we have this. I want to borrow money. You say interest, 5% interest, whatever it is. I say, okay, that's fair. When you handle the panhandler and he needs uh, something to get off his feet and he's like, I need to reorient my life. I'm ready to get back on track. Can I borrow some money to do that? You do not add interest. This is what he's handling this different. When a soldier, when someone comes outside, handle them differently. Matter of fact, the law goes on to say on the seventh uh, year, I don't want you to plant seeds. I want the field to go dormant and whatever grows, let the poor have. He actually, at one point in the law, he says, cut your fields a certain way so that the poor can have the corners of the field. God cares desperately about the field so much. So, and I think this is the important part that I want you to hear up to this point, um, God has been saying, if you do this, then you need to kill the, so- or the, the, the uh, sorcerer. You need to, that, that ox needs to die. Go back, look at it again, verse 24. Even back to verse 23. If you do mistreat them, the poor, listen to the pronouns here. If you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. You ready? And my wrath will burn. Here it is. And I will kill you with the sword. No, no, no. When you mistreat the poor, it's not about, I want you to handle this. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. God cares desperately about the poor and marginalized. He cares about the foreigner. He has has a special place in his law and in his heart for them. I think the people of Israel were meant to learn that, and I would argue so were we. But let's keep going. Uh, I want you to see that verse 12 talks again about the Sabbath um, and and how we should rest. We've spent a long period of time on that. Uh, And then you're going to see in chapter 23, let's keep going, we're almost done. Chapter 23, verses 14 through 19, is how the people of God are supposed to use the altars that we received in the beginning, right? So uh, you can see in these six different verses who's supposed to make offerings, when they're supposed to make offerings, three times a year. If you're reading through that, he's showing them, hey, remember what I talked about after the Ten Commandments, that whole altar? I want you to know me. Well, this altar, here's how I want you to use the altar. And again, he gives a lot of details uh, in all that. I want you to skip to chapter 24, though. Uh, It is interesting. If you ever desire to read chapter 23, verses uh, 20 through 33— There's this interesting statement where God says, if you follow all of these laws, I'm going to send an angel to you. It's really, really cool. He says, I'm going to send this angel. He's going to guard and guide you. And he's going to do this. And it's a bizarre account where essentially God has these spiritual beings specifically protecting the people of Israel, which is really, really cool. um, And we don't have time to get into uh, now. But let's go to chapter 24 and start to wrap this whole deal up. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, And he calls all the 70 elders of Israel to worship uh, from afar, right? This is what we see. We saw this in the beginning. If you were with us here last week, John talked about how the people of Israel are standing at the base of a mountain. So if you need some context, here's our context. The people of God have been set free from Egypt and now they're wandering in a desert, but there's this certain mountain that they're around and they set up camp around this mountain. Moses is called up to this mountain to receive these rules or these laws from the Lord. Well, now he's back down and he's giving to them. And now in this moment, God says, I want you to go up with all 70 elders. And so he brings all these 70 elders up. Um, and then from that moment, there's a stopping point. He, they, all 70 elders can only come to a certain point, And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near. And the people shall not come up uh, with him. Verse 3. Moses came up and told the people all the words of the Lord uh, and all the rules. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down the words of the law. He rose early in the morning and built an altar. So again, we have um, Moses going up, receiving these rules. He comes down to the people of Israel and he says, Here's the laws, everything I just said. So listen no sleeping with animals. That's not how we do it in our culture. Uh, if there is is there witchcraft? That's not what we do here. If there's minute details, if, if you do a wrong in this way, that's how we're going to handle it. And the people of Israel hear and they go, we'll be obedient. We've heard this and we'll be obedient. And then Moses does this may sound strange. He then begins to take blood and he sprinkles it. There's this covering, this blood of sacrifice over the people of Israel, which is all this foreshadowing into what makes us believers in, in Christianity. But let's keep going. Uh, let's go down to uh, verses 6-8, Builds an altar, and this is the last section we'll read. Then Moses in verse 15 went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered in six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Stop. That's a great cliffhanger, right? Moses goes back up the mountain in the presence of the Lord. There's thunder, there's lightning. He enters into the cloud what happens next, right? And so that's exactly what we'll find. Now, uh, where I want to spend our last uh, five minutes together is um, going back full circle in talking about, well, now what? This has been really helpful, but I still get to the reading of this law and I don't know exactly what to do with it. The the first thing that I want you to be aware of is in Romans uh, 3.31, uh, we're told that faith is not to be contrary to the law. Let let me uh, show you this. 3.31 says this, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So here's the problem when you read the law that you might misunderstand God never intended the law to be the permanent fix. Do you understand? It was never designed to be the permanent fix. Moses, in writing the law given from God, knew this. This is exactly why he says in Numbers eleven twenty nine, he says this, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Moses is going, I, I, I wish that we didn't have to have just this law. Okay, I'm allowed to do this, not to do this. I wish one day we would find ourselves in a position where the people of God had the Spirit of God within each of them, and they could go, God, what do you want me to do? And this is exactly what we have in Christianity. The fulfillment of, uh, of Numbers eleven twenty nine 29 is found in Jesus, and so again, let me read this to you. In Romans uh, chapter eight, verses three and four, it says this, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Stop. A part of reading the law is to see it as a mirror, is to recognize you could never do what Jesus did. I could never do what Jesus did 638 laws and how they work out and to have the faith and the right heart to do them. You and I could not do this. We could not fulfill the law properly. And what Jesus ends up saying is I've done it and I've changed the game. So see the law and see repentance. See that you can't be right by God on your own. And so this last part, Jesus fulfilled the law Of Chapter uh, 8, verse 4, it says this. uh, He fulfilled the law in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in short, let me say it like this. God gave the people of Israel the law for two reasons. One, I better read. Stay close to my notes. I'm going to get off my mark here. Number one, it was for their good. It was for their good. As they come out of Egypt the law of God was given to them, it's for their good, so that they know how to operate. Hear me, he's restoring humanity a little bit. This, this is not right. We don't do this. This is right. We don't do that. But not only that, God has given them the law so that they would be a people that all of the other nations around them would see what true humanity is like. Hear me when I say this, nothing's changed under the law of Christ, in that aspect at least. We as believers of Jesus Christ who follow Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law, hear me, it's for your own good. You become more human when you follow Jesus Christ. But not only that, when you follow Jesus Christ, the watching world around you looks and goes, that's what true humanity is supposed to be like. Now, of course, they're not going to say that. They're going to hate you, right? But the reality is they see something that is different within them. They see something completely contrary. And the law of Christ, according to Galatians 3 and Galatians 6 and Romans 4, we are given now as we walk out in faith, according to Romans chapter 2, verse 28, we are Jews in heart because our heart has been circumcised. We follow God with our heart. It's not about doing rules or laws. Because we love Jesus Christ, we see what he's done. We see how he acts and we reorient our life around him the best way I can explain the law. Now to finish, here's an example. What are we supposed to do when we come across the law? Just practically. Should I follow the law? Should I not have two different types of fabric? I'm going to give you what is not canon. This is not canon, but this is if you are new to the whole conversation conversation of the law, maybe a good starting place. Give me grace on saying that because some of you are going to be really upset. Here's a good starting place in how you should apply the law, okay? When you come across one of the laws in the Old Testament— Here's all I want you to process. This is a starting place. Does this reflect, when I do this, the character of Jesus Christ? Does this honor Jesus Christ? And does this make me feel closer to Jesus Christ? So let me give you an example. I remember, this is where I'll finish, I promise. In Leviticus chapter 19, one of my favorite parts of all the law, about 10 years ago, I I remember reading in Leviticus 19 chapter uh, 32, it says this, stand up in the presence of the age, show respect for the elderly, and renew your, uh, yeah, and revere your God, I am the Lord. Now you read that and you go, well, that's simple. What am I supposed to do with that law? Let me tell you what I did with that. And this is not canon. This is just where I started. I read that and I think it reflects God's character, that when I haven't met someone and they walk into a room and someone's introducing to, uh, me to them, I don't sit down and wave from afar or I don't shake their hand while I'm sitting down. When someone who's older than me, and I've been doing this for 10 years, when someone is older than me and they walk into the room and I don't know them and it's not a casual, like I don't stand at attention every time Jim enters the room. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if I haven't seen Jim in, Jim in a year, I'm not just gonna wave from him. I'm going to stand on my feet I'm going to look him in his eyes because I'm going to revere his age. I'm going to revere the fact that he's older than me, that he has more wisdom than I do, and I'm going to shake his hand. Now, hear me. I don't think God is mad at me if I don't do that. I don't think that I'm going to hell if I don't do that. I read the law and I go, this feels like something God would want me to do. Okay? Now, I read, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk, and I go, I don't know if I really have an opinion on that. And that's okay, right? But there are certain things that I can begin to see, and I go, this is what I should and shouldn't do. And the reality is, you're going to find all of those in the civil and the moral laws, none of them in the ceremonial. Jesus has fulfilled all those. Uh, that's a lot. We spent a lot of time, 40 minutes on that. Let me pray for us. We are all done. Father, thank you just for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and grace towards us, and that um, in four and a half chapters of law, there's a lot uh, that is confusing, but the reality is... Um, in all of the Levitical law, there seems to be elements of it that are difficult for us to understand why you would give a certain law at a certain time in a certain way. And so um, we, we, again, stand humbled in recognizing that, uh, yeah, that, that we don't fully always understand. We're trying to do our best, so help us in that. Pray that if we read laws that you want us to do or, or uh, walk out in certain ways, that we wouldn't do it for righteousness' sake, but we would do it because we're loved and accepted. Um, and we've received faith and grace because of your work and not ours. So help us in that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.